0: Friends, this morning's Psalter lesson is found in Psalm 91. Not as famous as Psalm 23, which takes that prize, but not far behind. Made famous by hymns, as we will sing later, like on eagle's wings. Certainly, perhaps a psalm you've memorized or a song you've sung. Listen now for the word of the Lord. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot." Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. This morning's gospel lesson is found in the gospel of Matthew chapter 23, beginning At verse 27 and then skipping to other verses. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and of all kinds of filth. So you also on the outside look righteous to others, but inside You are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets." Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, speak to us. Spirit of the living God, speak through us. Spirit of the living God, speak in spite of us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray, amen. In elementary school, I learned an adage that my teacher would use to refer to me and some of my friends. Birds of a feather flock together. You know that one? You almost said it. I saw some of you. You were holding back. Now, she was explaining this to us after school in detention (laughs) because my friends and I were, and you're going to be totally surprised by this, we were talkers. We talked a lot in the class. I still don't get it to this day. I mean, you've heard this before, but really, I I don't see it. We were class clowns, which I wouldn't have personally identified. I thought I was just leading people in laughter is how I was described. I would describe it. But she would always roll her eyes and just say, she didn't even have to complete the adage after a while, just birds of a feather, I'll see you after school. Now, what is meant by this? Of course, it it sort of goes with other sayings, like tell me who you go with and I will tell you who you are, where do you spend your time? Whom do you spend it with? How do you invest your energy? What do you associate with and, and surround yourself with? Psalm 91, right at the beginning, is telling us about someone who spends their time, who flocks together with a mother bird is, that is identified as the living God Right at the beginning, it's someone who lives in the shelter of the Most High, who abides in the shadow of the Almighty. These people spend their time with God. They trust, they love, they call. That's what Psalm 91 is telling us. And by implication, it's telling us about those who don't. Who don't spend time with God who don't live in the shelter of the Most High or abide in the shadow of the Almighty, who don't trust in God, who don't love God, who don't call on God. And so my question for us today is, which one are you? Which one are you? Now, it's interesting that both of our scriptures today reference a mother bird. Psalm 91 is likely commentators say referring to an eagle. Why? Eagles were commonly associated with the divine and deities. We see this across the world. Those of you who've been to Mexico City know about its historic founding and it's uh, myth that an eagle was spotted catching a serpent and that's where the ancient Aztec city would be built. In Egypt, The eagle was considered divine, of course, why? Because it flies high in the sky. It is the sovereign of the sky and it's associated with the Pharaoh and their gods. The Romans would take this symbol on with the golden eagle on their banners. Even to this day, the United States' own emblem shows, the American bald eagle shown for its strength, for its power, They also believe it might be the eagle because of the shelter of the Most High, that this shelter would have been located in the heights away from danger. And then of course the wingspan, thus you'd be under the shadow of such a great bird whose wingspan can be more than eight and a half feet. Can you imagine that? More than eight and a half feet wingspan of certain eagles. They rush at great speeds. They can show up out of nowhere and catch some of the smallest of animals. They can surprise us. They can even, some eagles, move fully grown human beings. They can push them out of the way, such is their strength. And Psalm 91 is comparing God to this strong, fiercely protective mother bird who will do anything for her young. Her wings will provide shade, shade from the scorching sun, from the beating wind, from the rain will also be a source of protection from the predators or in the case of Psalm 91 specifically from the fowler setting up snares, that is traps hunting for these birds and young ones. We are protected. That is the promise of Psalm 91. If you know it or have memorized it, that's probably why you did, to be reminded of that promise. But there is also a temptation in Psalm 91. The temptation is when you look at the Psalm and you recite everything that it says, you'll be free from pestilence, from destruction, from your enemies, from the traps of your enemies, from the trap of your enemies and and the destruction at noonday and diseases of all kinds and even from stubbing your toe. That's my translation. Shall not dash your foot against the stone, even that you're protected from, guarded by angels. Your mind right now goes to the time you stubbed your toe. The many times you've stubbed your toe, you're thinking it right now. And you're going, man, ye of little faith, maybe? Maybe I don't have enough faith. That can't be that, though, because faith is a gift. It's not something we can create. It's not something that we grow. It's something God grows in us. We open ourselves to faith. We do that in worship and in prayer and in song. We do that by gathering with fellow believers, birds of a feather flock together. We, we do that by wrestling with the scriptures, certainly. But it is a gift. Faith is a gift of God's grace. So it can't be that we don't have enough faith and that's why we stub our toe. There's gotta be something else going on here. In fact, Jesus was tempted using Psalm 91. Did you know that? He's in the wilderness. It's described as Satan uh, tempting tempting him to give up his mission to save the world and take the power that's rightfully his and rule over the city. I will give you everything if you worship me, the enemy says. You don't have to do this, the enemy says. You don't have to fast and practice this spiritual life. I'll, I'll give you food. Don't worry about that. And... You can jump off of this cliff and you know what? The angels will be sent to guard you and your foot shall not dash against the stone. The enemy was even quoting scripture to tempt Jesus. To tempt Jesus that life doesn't have to be suffering and sorrow, that we can have happiness right now. Everything can go smoothly right now. Everything can be exactly as we want it right now and any of you who have suffered know that life doesn't work like that. Even if, especially if you are a Christian, think about the most faithful person who ever lived, that is God in the person of Jesus. Most faithful life on earth, the perfect human being, and yet he suffered Greatly More suffering than any of us may ever suffer. And he also suffered it at a far greater level because he suffered it in some mysterious way at an infinite level. Both as human and as God, he suffered for our sin. And yet he is the most faithful. How can this be? How can we reconcile this? In that temptation, whatever you might be going through, whatever your life circumstance today or tomorrow or in the days to come, the test of those who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, is where you turn when you are in trouble. One Christian author writes this, when you are alone... In the middle of the night, perhaps, and you're facing some of life's greatest difficulties, where does your mind turn? Does it turn to that deal that if you only closed, you would at last have happiness and peace? Does it turn to that ambition you have always sought, the success? Does it turn to the place you've always wanted to live the people you've always wanted to live with and doing exactly what you've always wanted to do. And then, and only then, you would be happy. At last, you would have peace. Is that where your mind goes, where you're in trouble? When you're surrounded by enemies and you feel ensnared? When pestilence hits your life or that of your families or your friends? When there is terror at night, is that where your mind goes? Where, where does your mind go? The author will go on to say, because wherever your mind goes, that is what you value. That is where your real trust is. So I ask you, which one are you in Psalm 91? Those who trust in the Lord or those who don't? Maybe you have trusted for far too long in your own wits, your own good looks, your own success, your own wealth and power and status and network and the list goes on. That is what gives you your value, your sense of identity, your purpose on this earth. And if only you had more of it or if only you had the perfect combination of it, if only you had fill in the blank, you would at last be happy and at peace, but if you're honest with yourself, that happiness and peace seems distant. It comes and goes depending on life's circumstances. That means your trust is not in the Lord. Or maybe, maybe you're like the person described in Matthew 23 by Jesus, It's a hard word, but think about who he's talking about, who he's referring to, and it should make you shudder if you grew up in the church, if you have faithfully attended worship, if you know the scriptures, you can even quote them and you faithfully pray, it should make you shudder because Jesus is talking to the most religious people of his day, the Pharisees and the scribes. They're highly educated. They get get seated at the front row of all the events. They're always asked to publicly speak and pray. They're privileged by invitations to people's homes. They're provided for, taken care of. They even help the poor. That's what the temple treasury was for. They give money to the widow and to the orphan and to the stranger. They even have the power of judgment tremendous power. They could decide between disputes in their community. They were trusted leaders who would publicly pray and lead in ritual and preserve the tradition. They were zealous for their faith and religion. And it is to them that Jesus says, you hypocrites, You're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside. You look so moral and righteous and put together, but on the inside, you're dead. Is your self-righteousness keeping you from living in the shelter of the Most High, from abiding in the shadow of the Almighty? Is it that at last you have confused religion with relationship? Have you at last confused your tradition with faith? Have you finally forgotten the difference between the God you speak at as opposed to the God you speak with and listen to? Is your self-righteousness getting in the way of admitting that you are just like everybody else, a sinner in need of grace, that you too fall short of the glory of God, that you haven't always made the right decisions, that you have made mistakes, that you're not better than others, that God's faithfulness is always better and greater than your sin. You don't do that. You can't possibly trust in the God of Psalm 91. You can't call on the Lord because you'll always call on your own strength, your own understanding, your own way. But you won't call on the Lord. You won't find the need or you'll believe that this God owes you something. You see, that's the danger of Religion over relationship. Religion in the service of relationship is great. It'll strengthen you for the journey. But religion in place of relationship will make you think that God owes you because of your faithful prayer life, because of your worship attendance, because you've grown up in the church, because you're so moral and upstanding and admired in the community. And so therefore God should bless you I shouldn't have pestilence in my household. I shouldn't be ensnared by my enemies. I shouldn't have my life suffering. God owes me. But then that's, that's not grace, is it? That's not grace. That's more like an employee demanding the paycheck for hours served, for hours worked. and The boss signs the check That's not the relationship scripture testifies to. Instead, it's the relationship of the parent. In this Psalm 91, it's the mother, bird, and her children. That's the relationship, not a relationship of you owe me, but the relationship of all of life is grace. Because in that fierce protection of that mighty eagle in Psalm 91 is also that tender, intimate image of the mother bird caring for the young with her wings under her feathers, providing shelter and feeding them. These eaglets are utterly dependent on this eagle for food and sustenance of any kind and protection. They can't possibly survive outside of the nest. Do you trust in God Like that, Jesus is saying to the scribes and to the Pharisees that they don't, they've come to trust in their rituals and in their religion and in their tradition, but they are not trusting in the living God that the living God would provide for them. And yet, even when Jesus' words are at their hardest and their most direct, the tenderness of the mother bird comes out. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. That's Jesus' offer even to the hypocrites even to the liars, even to those who've replaced relationship with religion, even those of us who think of ourselves as self-righteous and morally superior, even to us, Jesus still invites us. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who are carrying the burden of trying to be perfect, come to me. I alone can give you rest. Under my wings you will have protection from the false life you are leading. You will have salvation and deliverance from your sin. But Jesus says, you were not willing. See, your house is left you desolate. Jesus must have been referring to the synagogues and the temples and their own hearts desolate because they don't want mother bird They don't want God, they want their own image of God, usually made in their image. The God who does exactly what they ask at the time that they ask it. A God who is more like a machine, a God we can control. And yet there is hope, friends. There is hope for Jesus says, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, Jesus will go on to the cross and like a mother bird, he will cover our sins for those who call on him. Jesus will go to the cross and he will cry out one of the Psalms, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22, he will, he will share with us our pain and sorrow and remind us that he too has suffered greatly, but it will not end there, it will end in Psalm 22 with the praise of the Most High because Jesus' trust is in the right place, is yours. That's available to us, friends, even today whether it has been your unrighteousness or your self-righteousness that has kept you from living in the shelter of the Most High and abiding in the shadow of the Almighty, that invitation is still offered to you today. You can still be covered by Jesus who goes to the cross and sacrifices, who keeps us from the storms of life who preserves us, because at the end of all things, friends, that is the promise of Psalm 91, that yes, there might be pestilence. Yes, we might get ensnared. Yes, there might be suffering. We might dash our foot against the stone. But at the end of all things, our hope is in the Lord. There will be ultimate healing. There will be ultimate provision. I don't know what you might be going through right now, but that is the promise offered to you today. And you can say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which one are you? Which bird of a feather do you flock with? May it be with the Lord. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.